Good morning, afternoon or evening and welcome to Season 4, Episode 3 of this Old Rue Podcast. First of all, we just would like to acknowledge all the messages of support from last week's episode. Um, thank you to all that listened and that messaged us. It means quite a lot to have messages from people that are going through a tough time or that are supporting us in that tough time. Um, so thank you to all that did that. We appreciate it. Yeah, it was uh, an amazing response. And we also got people, we kind of, we got both sides of the coin. We had people that are living around Quisa that are close to Stephen contacting him, contacting the page. And we also had people who aren't at home at the moment um, also contacting us. So it, it was nice that we had, that we felt that we weren't alone. This week, uh, on the podcast, we are chatting to Louise Carroll, who is a consultant psychologist, but is also the bassist of the Blizzards. And we're naming the episode Trust Me, Trust Me, I'm a Doctor, which is a little, I don't know if pun's the right word, but a little uh, joke about there. Is pun the right word for that? Yeah, it's almost pun. I don't know what the right word is for that, actually, but we'll call it a pun for the, we'll the pun. argument. We first heard Louise on the Two Johnnies podcast, the JA Catfish, where she was explaining what was going on there. We've also heard her on the Dermot and Dave show. And so we thought we'd reach out to her and have a conversation with her. Um, and as you will hear, as you listen to the podcast, we do go off on tangents. She's a very interesting person and very easy to listen to. Um, and so much so that we will have a part two with Louise. Yes, so you might hear a very abrupt ending to this conversation. The reason being that we went over time on our Zoom call and uh, Louise had a client uh, in the hour after, but she kindly uh, agreed to donate her time again. So these have been recorded for a couple of months now um, and we really enjoyed the conversation and we hope you guys do too. Without further ado, here is the podcast. Good day, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Today we have Louise Carl, who is a chartered psychologist and also is the bassist in the Blizzards. Louise, you're very welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We also have Stephen here as well. Stephen, you're you. very welcome. Thank you, Ian. Thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, we, had a quick, we had a quick call before we started the podcast. Louise, um, tell the listeners where you get your coffee from. I get my coffee, actually, to be fair, I get it in two places. <laughs> the first place is Café Journal, oh. which is right around the corner. Very nice neighbourly community uh, barista. And then the other place is Bear Market Coffee in Black Rock, which I really quite like. And it's 20 past four and you're drinking coffee. Will you sleep all right tonight? Yeah. That's the kind of rebel I am, guys. <laughs> Got to get my kick somewhere. <laughs> yeah, we're on the tea at the moment, so um, we should be all right. But uh, we'll kick it off. Just, Louise, do you want to sort of explain um, exactly what your role as a consultant psychologist is mm -hmm. um, yes. and how you fell into that job? I <laughs> tripped and fell yeah. into consultancy. <laughs> well, I uh, I won't give you the long CV version, but I studied psychology. I've always been interested in 
human beings, why they do the things they do. Always since I was a little kid, I was fascinated why people killed people. You know, well, what, mm. what would drive somebody to that extent? What happened in their lives? What happened to them? And I always had that sense. What happened to them? <laughs> Not what's wrong with them. What happened to them? Mm. Interestingly, that's where psychology is moving towards now. Only really in the last five years. Instead of asking how someone's broken, we ask, what happened to you in your life? That has led you to this point. So that has really been a consistent fascination in my life. And I I studied and trained in UCD. I did both my degree and my master's. And then I worked for nine, 10 years in Headstrong, which is now Jigsaw, um, oh, working to support young people and give them somewhere to turn to. And I worked quite, you know, a, a huge amount of clinical experience actually within that role in my 10 years. Hence, my role is quite a dual one. It's working with people to change systems and shift, you know, also in, in corporate organizations, but also on a one-to-one, um, but also with couples. And I do have a particular interest and specialty area in around relationships. Perfect. So one thing you sort of said there about finding out what happened that person and I know we kind of chatted about that a moment ago but what I found really interesting just chatting a few minutes ago is you were explaining how every relationship ends up having an effect on your future self can you maybe explain a bit about that from uh, from early childhood I guess and what that means and how that contributes to the future life yeah yeah absolutely you know I you may and probably have already heard about the thing called attachment, you know, that we all have some form of attachment. And that's what actually predicts how we interact with people as we move into adulthood. So whether, you know, we have a resistance to intimacy or whether we have an excess need for intimacy, whether we have huge levels of anxiety around intimacy, all of these things are almost predicted by our early experiences. And so what we went through and what we witnessed, what we watched, what we participated in when we were young forms a blueprint for how we engage in our adult relationships. And that's not to say that it can't be altered or changed when we're adults. It certainly can, but we do have a blueprint for how we behave. We do have a blueprint and it feels quite instinctive, you know, when we're adults. So we might feel oh, this is very intrusive, I need to get out of this, and we run, and we cut and shut, and that's the end of that relationship. And we might find ourselves continually in that pattern, um, always finding something wrong, perhaps with the other, until we hit a wall and realize, okay, this, it can't, at some point, at some point, it can't be everybody else. <laughs> Maybe I need to look inward, right? But, but this is all formed when, when we're young, you know, how we were witnessed. And whether it's a mother, a father, any kind of parent, whether it is a caregiver, it is critically important. Our brains develop in duality. Our brains develop because of a relationship, because of being witnessed by somebody else, because a parent sees us, because a caregiver witnesses who we are. That's how we actually, not to be existential about it, but that's actually how we get the sense that we actually exist, that we're real. You know, it sounds like such a fundamental thing, but if we don't get witnessed properly, we never quite feel real, you know, and we, we might keep running and running and running from pillar to post, trying to find a sense of, of solidity in our lives. Or we might keep running from person to person to person to try and feel anchored, to try and feel stable or a sense of self. 
So this is what I'm really talking about, the sense of self. And this gets developed from a very, very early age and it gets developed well or not so well. <laughs> and how that forms then predicts the rest of our relationships. Does that development stop at a certain age, Louise, or can we carry that development into adulthood? And as you said, <clears throat> although the blueprint is there, if we're aware of the behaviours around it, that we can alter it, but does it keep mm. developing as in, can you be in your mid-twenties or early twenties and still be witnessed by people? Or does it stop at the age of 10 or how does that work? I like that question. Um, it absolutely continues. And... You know, in fact, I've had clients and it was their first time being witnessed was in the therapy setting, was in the therapeutic relationship. And that is quite a powerful thing to be a part of, actually, and to witness, even for me. But some people do grow up never really truly being seen, you know, and one of our greatest needs as human beings is to be seen. That's it to be seen, you know, for who we are, for all of our flaws, not, not, and actually particularly not just for what we're good at. That's nice. It helps boost the ego and a sense of what we're capable of. That's a real social but, media thing, isn't it? Because we're, we're kind of seen for what we're good at or for what we're doing. Yeah. And it's not really, we're not really being seen for what we're not so good at or the yeah. bad habits that we have at the home. The shit stuff. Yeah. 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 So it's exactly would, the dark would that, side. Would that build like a, a false sense of being seen? Uh, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> did, I, did I just open Pandora's box here today? Yes, you did, actually. You, you won a prize for that question. <laughs> uh, it, you've just touched on something that I've been really reflecting on quite a lot recently, mm. which is false empowerment. And this can happen from a very young age, you know, and when we falsely empower somebody we're not seeing reality and we're not seeing their reality so it's not we're still not being seen but we're being seen for something else that we now feel we have to fulfill and become and this is how narcissists are born well it's one way how narcissists are born right so we we have this sense of of what we should be what we should attain we've been told we're all of these things anyway Right. Maybe from a young age, you know, that the idea of being utterly special, even though you've never actually proven yourself in any way or you've never actually. And that's not to say that we don't deserve love simply for just existing. We absolutely do. But when we falsely empower somebody, we lie to them. Mm. You know, it's like Jimmy comes home from school with a really bad report card again, you know, and dad says, don't mind that school. They're full of shit. You're brilliant, you know. Mm, oh, Jimmy! No, Jimmy's failing, <laughs> you know. But if we keep filling Jimmy's head with the idea that he's better than everybody else, you know, that he never has to listen to instruction, that he can never be guided because he knows better and we know better in this household, then that's false empowerment. So Jimmy goes up to believe that he's better than everybody else and he doesn't have to try, right? So I'm sure you can, you know, you can think of a few people who have a sense of being better than everybody else and they don't have to try. And it's not really rooted in anything or anchored in anything. And in fact, social media is a whole world based on what something looks like without the roots. So yes, false empowerment, a big issue in is that point, society. I suppose a narcissist, even if there's a narcissist probably listening to this right now, would it even be 
coming into their realm because they don't listen to other people or it would feel threatening it would feel right, threatening. So, so so they probably would yeah. stop listening or change the podcast reject maybe even be angry about it right and and, and it's because what it creates is a sense of dissonance dissonance inside of us you know we all we all have that capacity we all have the capacity to know that something is not in line with what we're capable of you know we all have a sense when something's outside of the bounds of us being challenged it's too much or it's within the bounds of us feeling challenged and we rise to the occasion but if there's too much dissonance in that we know actually that we can't align with that deep down we know that we do so we bluster and we maybe bullshit and we become actually quite angry so that we can distance and push away the thing that's threatening our sense of self because remember it's not our fault perhaps if we've grown up that way if we've been falsely impaired it's not our fault but we now are left with the task of protecting this very fragile and brittle sense of self that is not based on reality and we do our kids a disservice when we do that you know and and we do it to avoid telling the truth because the truth can be painful but but that's the power of compassionate communication the truth well you know, was it jesus that was that mm-hmm. you free i don't know i don't mean to be but you know essentially it will it doesn't matter compassionately delivering communication to somebody about reality helps them it, it armors them for the real world and we're not seeing we, a lot of that we had talked about me and Stephen had talked something similar about this um before in a podcast i was like people might not want to actually start digging deep because they're scared of coming undone or they might not mm. want to stop and ask the questions because if they have built this false yeah. without roots the yeah. the fear of actually finding out what's going on could be too terrifying and and don't want to yeah. do any of the work do you find that in your therapeutic practice as in people just don't want to go there yeah i, I absolutely except there they are right yeah. there they are they're sitting in front of me so there is a part of them that wants to do the work there is a part of them that wants to peel back those layers even though they're terrified of it but they've enough sense to know that perhaps i need to do this with somebody um and it's terrifying when you have a sense that perhaps you've been living not so much in line with who you are but who you were expected to be that's terrifying and for the first time that you look inside and say who actually am I? Not who am I expected to be or who am I trying to live up to be? Who am I? And sometimes you don't see anything at all when you start to look inside there. There's nothing there. It can be quite dark because it hasn't been formed yet because you've been living against someone else's criteria or expectations. And there is the hardest part of the process is seeing that and walking into it. But that's why therapy is a good idea at that point. Absolutely. And I suppose my point of view, my degree and background is in health promotion. And I find the hardest thing is to get to those who both in a a psychological way and also in terms of health, those that don't even realize that they need the help. How do we get through to those people? I I mean, if we could figure that out, (laughs) we would make it. But it's something that I find hard and I think from my background is more health whereas Mm. yours is psychology how do we get through to those people that might need that help but don't even realise it or are too scared to Mm. make that yeah we call that the pre-contemplation stage (laughs) of change and you know 
you can't drag no you can drag a horse to water but you can't make a drink you know mm-hmm. it's there's only so much that you can do actually and everyone's on their own individual journey but i think something that definitely doesn't work is sanctimony you know and actually we're surrounded by sanctimony this is what you should do. This is how you should live. This is how you be a better person. This is how you achieve more. This is how you live, be a more effective parent. This is how you're doing it wrong. You know, <laughs> everywhere you look, everywhere you look. And sometimes it's, it's, it's well-intentioned. Most of the time, actually, it's well-intentioned. But we do have a commodified wellness industry. You know, I think more and more we are talking about that. And is it really working? Or if we're saying the same things time and time and time again, are we becoming immune to them? You know, and I think supporting somebody to look inward and figure out what they want is a much better question, perhaps, than telling them what they're doing wrong. Yes. I think yeah. that's kind of what a lot of the aim of this podcast is about <clears throat> us having the discussions and. A lot of people, though, you would find when you ask them, that's a really hard question is like, mm-hmm. what do you want? Like, that's mm-hmm. not an easy question to answer. And that's a question that we talked about a lot as well. And yeah. you can deflect and you can turn away and you say, oh, I don't know. And how do you go about yeah. answering a question like that? Yeah, It's such a good point. But isn't it so funny that we when we're asked that question, we balk. Mm-hmm. And, and this is I, I've you know I have to regularly ask myself that question because we're constantly moving hopefully in life to the point to evolve and change and develop and connect more you know and do things that bring us more fulfillment and so actually I think it's very important that we regularly ask ourselves that question but isn't it funny that when we do it's almost a panic situation of "Ah, I don't know (laughs) (laughs) so what am I supposed to want I don't know you know uh, or maybe you say you want the usual things but are you really connecting to what you want and and this is this has been a process even for me as I've reflected on this over the past few years you know I, I remember when I used to work in different companies and they would always talk about values you know what are the values of the company and Everyone would trot out the words like integrity, you know, but trust, honesty, yay, it's done. Put it up on a poster now and we forget about it forever. Yeah. You know, and and I remember even feeling like that. Like those are lovely words, they're beautiful, they're poetic, but what did they really mean? I never really knew. And yet, uh, so I've had a very tug of war relationship with the concept of values. But in order to know what you want in your life, you have got to discover what you stand for. What's important to you? What matters to you? What do you care about? You know, and, and what's difficult about it too is that when you look at a list of values, if you Googled values now and looked up a chart, you'd see about 150 different values. And you'd look down through them all and you'd think, oh, all of these are important to me. Honesty, integrity, relationships, adventure, freedom, security, safety. I, I want all of those things. <laughs> but if you spend time, and I guarantee this, If you spend time reflecting on what's important to you, thinking about it once a day, every day for the next month, you will narrow that down to be a very unique set of values for you. And it will surprise you, but they can become the signposts for what you do next, for how you discover what you want. So that is for me, always the first step of figuring out what you want. Would that be, 
when you're saying like <clears throat> think about it once a day would that be sort of watching yourself with the third eye and paying attention to what you're doing as in where you're spending your time or allocating your time so like if you find i, I did something quite like this on on my instagram there last week i actually got people to watch what they're doing so if mm-hmm. health and fitness is a value for you which it is is for me like are you spending time in the gym or are you spending time doing exercise or are you spending time um prepping healthy meals or whatever is that mm. something what you mean as in like checking in scene where you're spending your time or are you just stopping yourself during the day and asking yourself what are you valuing in that day let, let, let me ask you something when you're doing something when you're in the gym and when you're working out and you're doing the thing that you that brings you a sense of why that's important to you how do you feel it's a big question I feel like I'm I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I say I feel like I'm doing the work. Yeah. That's how, how do I you know? Yeah. What lets you know that? I wasn't expecting a therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> what lets me know that? Um, well, see, you you don't know anything about me, but I've been sick twice in my twenties with mm-hmm. cancer, and so mm-hmm. when I'm in the gym. And I and, and it got me through treatment. It got me through treatment twice, being being pretty strong and, and a physical guy. And so mm-hmm. when I'm in the gym, like in if there is days that I'm asking myself, why am I doing this or what am I doing this? I'm thinking, if I get ever get sick again, it's gonna help me carry myself through it. So that's mm-hmm. that one's probably an easier question for me to answer. Mm-hmm. So when that's that doubt when that doubt creeps in, it's like Aiden, you're doing this because you know it got got you through a hard time before and if it happens again it'll do it again you know yeah well that's powerful mm-hmm. so you I mean, that is as good an example of the value as you can get actually because you have this incredibly strong foundation of what matters to you what matters to you is to stay fit and healthy because you know it sustains your life but it actually helps you survive when the going gets tough yeah yeah well done. Yeah, you found a value. Yeah. <laughs> One down. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe for others that might not be so apparent, Louise. So I guess my question back to you was if people do take this sort of challenge that you said for a month that they check in with themselves each day, should they check in on what they're doing or what they're thinking? Mm-hmm. Or how, how would they start narrowing down the value within that moment of, of the check in? Okay. So when I asked you, how did you feel? our bodies never lie so your mind can tell you all sorts of things (laughs) it can say god i'm so bored doing this i didn't want to do this this is annoying i really should be doing the next thing but your body meanwhile is thriving or in your body it's i love this you know your mind could be like you're spending too long at this you're supposed to be you know make a home making dinner at this point but your body is thinking full of joy your body's got that feeling of connectedness, that sense of purpose. So when you, so both and is, is the answer to your question. So, okay, you might get thoughts that come up, but they might derail you. But that sense that you have in your body of you're doing what you're supposed to be doing in this moment and you feel light maybe, or you feel vitality, which is another good indicator that you're doing something that matters to you. Those, just be curious in your day. So. Actually, curious is one of mine, curiosities. 
I love curious. I, I, I hope I always remain curious. I just, I feel like it's a gateway to so many other things, to experiences, to relationships, to amazing conversations. It's curiosity for me, which I, I, when I landed on it, I thought that was an unusual one to land on, but it, you know, it, it's so true for me, curious. And I realized that because of that, when I would have an incredible conversation with somebody or I'd meet something and I didn't expect something to happen and, and it happened because I was curious and I followed the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. And the joy that brings and that sense of fulfillment and the sense of purpose. So I'm asking people to pay attention to what it brings up in their bodies. Does it bring up that sense of excitement, that sense of purpose, that sense of belonging? Because that's what's letting us know that that's what matters to us the most. That's a great answer. That is, yeah. Have you got a follow-up question? Because I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, uh, I was just enjoying listening yeah. to all that, to be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I think we've touched on that a lot about purpose and meaning. And sometimes when you say it, it can kind of go over your head. You're like, oh, yeah. But when you sit down and really think about it, and ask yourself a question like you just asked Aiden there, Louise. Like, you know, if you ask yourself that when you're sitting and trying to journal, you can be like, oh, I'll make a cup of tea and I'll think about it later. Whereas uh, there, yeah. Aiden was really put on the spot and his answer was amazing. And I think everyone can have an amazing answer for whatever it is for themselves, but it's really hard to really ask yourself that. Oh God! It takes so much mental effort. I'm right. Like just pass the questions over to Stephen now for the next one. Leave me alone. Good to have a little break there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. But it is. No, and they are, and they honestly, are tough thank you for sharing that. But they are yeah. tough questions, yeah. and and you so generously shared your experience of it. But you know, it, it does take it out of you. And remember, we are in a society now where everything is contriving to hijack our attention, mm. whether it's phones or social media, our phone is constantly pinging, you know, it's email or it's iMessage or it's WhatsApp or it's whatever a million other apps pinging for your attention. And it's, it's shortening our attention span. And so when we're now in a situation where we ask ourselves a big question, like what matters to me, that feels a little bit intimidating. Mm. And it might be tapping into some emotions as well, right? And, and I always say this, it's a little bit glib, but I, I believe it. You know, it, if you don't pay attention to the big questions now, if you don't pay attention to the, what do I care about? What matters to me? Am I living in line with those values that I've identified? Am I really honoring what I care about? If you don't pay attention to those questions now, you know, are you going to be waking up when you're 50 years old, profoundly depressed and not really knowing why and putting it down to some kind of imbalance in the brain, right? Mm. It's not an imbalance in the brain. Is it, it's more okay. like you haven't followed your dreams as such or you haven't followed your North Star, right? Listen to yourself. You know, what, what parts of yourself have you denied? And look, we do this to a certain extent, all of us, all of the time to varying degrees, mm -hmm. you know, some more than others, right? Some are much more prone to self-sacrifice or to subjugate their own needs for other people. That was my own particular thing that across that I had to bear and thing that I had to try and recover from. 
And equally, as we spoke earlier, that would lead me to the point of looking inside and not really seeing very much at all because I lived in line with other people's needs. That was what my purpose was until I broke that down and started again. <laughs> well, it's hard to do, but but it's worth it. It's worth it because all you have is that, is you. And when you, you know, I, I firmly believe if we're talking about mental health, you know, we're talking about anxiety, we're talking about depression. It's coming back to you. It's coming back to you. You know, what, what life are we living? Is it our own or is it someone else's? Is it, is it our own or is it what someone else wants of us? And where have we fa- fallen off track? Where have we deviated? These are the big questions, right? And they're really hard. I'm, I'm, re- I'm, not, I'm really not underestimating that. They're really tough. And you don't get answers straight away. It takes a lot of persistent effort. It takes a lot of conversations, maybe with a therapist, maybe with friends, maybe with strangers. You know, I have my, my mentor and my trainer and my colleague, Dr. Tony Bates, talks about the conversations that keep us alive. You know, that, that always stays with me because that's what we have. We are a series of conversations. You know, we are built from a series of conversations. How we feel about ourselves, how we feel about the world is based on the conversations that we have. They're so vital to us. Um, but having those conversations can bring us into alignment with who we really are. And if we do that, then we've built a mentally and emotionally healthy foundation. Yeah, I think that's kind of exactly how this podcast started was we were the two people that had them conversations and brought the best out in each other, I think. And, mm, and the worst. Right. And the worst. <laughs> no, we didn't. Yeah. <laughs> we well, don't record I'm it, all but. about the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> but it was we were just kind of having a realization like do other people have these conversations and what mm. can we do to try and encourage them whether mm. it's us having it and helping others or empowering others to actually have these conversations and some of the messages we've gotten from friends and people we never met before and stuff like that has made it all worth it mm. and it's really sort of making us realize that there's a lot of people struggling with the exact same things and yeah. it's still not talked about enough um, and uh, and people like yourself that's why you're so busy I'm sure with your consultancy because there's so many people not figuring it out mm-hmm. um, which mm-hmm. kind of brings so I, I, we have a lot of questions here but we'll not get through all of them but we'll kind of run through a couple of things because we did want to talk about relationships and breakups and dealing with that sort of stuff um, but I know you did talk about a lot of it being self and about yourself um, and I there's a comedian that I've listened to quite a lot called Daniel Sloss I don't know if you've ever heard of him he has a no. Netflix special called Jigsaw mm-hmm. he basically he describes himself as a comedian who also does a TED talk while on stage um, <laughs> and he I would really recommend watching Jigsaw his Netflix special where he basically talks about um, how very long story short his um father gave an example of life is like a jigsaw where the outer corners your friends family hobbies and job and then the centerpiece is your loved one so in his Mm. father's case it was his wife who was the love of his life Mm. and as a boy he was told that when he grew up he thought the centerpiece was someone else so he was always striving to have someone else fill his centerpiece and his jigsaw Mm. in his own life Mm which led him to some really bad relationships and toxic relationships and mm. his own confidence, his own self-belief 
and everything he was putting into someone else and mm. um, which is quite a powerful thing and a lot of what you were saying is about how self-compassion self-love can mm. get you to a place where you're really happy and comfortable and that mm. probably leads you into more healthy relationships and um, mm. have you any opinion on that or how a healthy relationship can be formed yeah that's a that's a great visual that you gave there you know with the the jigsaw the idea of the corner pieces that's powerful mm. but i you know i i think if we don't have a strong sense of who we are like this is sort of the theme a little bit of what we're talking about if we don't have if we haven't built that self-concept or we don't have confidence yet in what and who we are um or that we simply have worth just because of who we are then we seek it in someone else and we start to look at ourselves only through other people's eyes and if we're looking at ourselves through other people's eyes there is something that is always beyond the bounds of our own control and we always feel anxious I mean, think about it, right? If we're, if we're looking at ourselves through other people's eyes, we, we are never in control because we cannot control another person. We can't influence how they see us. And yet that's what we try to do. If we're looking at ourselves through someone else, mm-hmm. we try and be dress the way we think that we should, that they might like. We try and shape ourselves that will get the most perhaps validation or approval online or in, in real life, whatever it might be. We're shaping ourselves or creating an image or a projection of an image to get the most amount of likes, you know, and it sounds like maybe we are trying to push forth who we really are on social media. I mean, there's certainly a movement towards that, but are we, can we really do that? Are we too complex? We we are such complex beings and yet we reduce ourselves to a tile and a caption you know, and, and we become that almost, you know, in the way that we have expectations from maybe parents or caregivers and we seek to fulfill them in real time, are we doing the same thing on social media too? You know, we're creating an editable version of who we are um, in real time, not actually in a meaningful way. And I think until we can find worth in ourselves just for who we are, that we're not seeking somebody else to fill the gaps in ourselves to fill up the voids inside ourselves because because when we do that we are constantly dependent on them when you think about it right if they take that away then we collapse we've got to be able to stand fully and trust in ourselves first before we can stand and walk alongside another person and that's the good foundation of a relationship that will thrive yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah yeah because my next question was going to be you know where should someone be should I don't like that word but mm-hmm. where's a good place for someone to be before entering a relationship but you've kind of just answered that question for me and i suppose maybe a follow-on question would that be how would you maybe this isn't the right word but how would you vet someone out that you're dating is in a good place to be dating as well Mm. you know if you're bringing that to the yeah. table and you know that you're in a good place and in a position to date how do you navigate then the dating world for yeah. meeting somebody else and wondering where they are 
Ask them what's wrong with them. <laughs> How quick can you get into the date before you ask that? <laughs> First question. Wow. You know, I'm joking, but I'm actually not really joking. You know, because I think, what are all the ways in, in which you've messed up? Mm-hmm. You know, and when you ask a question like that, what are all the ways in which you're actually quite mad? You know, you know, I, I happily answer that question. You know, to somebody for all the ways in which I have absolutely fucked up, right, mm-hmm. in my life. You know, what are all the walls I've hit, and what has it taught me about life? What has it taught me about myself? What are all the ways in which my ego has been crushed? <laughs> you know, if you ask that of somebody else, you'll get very interesting information, right? <laughs> because if they walk into that with you, then you know you're onto a winner. You know you're mm-hmm. onto somebody who's explored their inner world and who's explored their actions and has actually learned from what they've done and who isn't crippled by the notion of pride or shame Mm. or embarrassment. When somebody's crippled by shame, then you have this sort of inflation of ego because God forbid you got close to the ways in which they've failed because that would destroy their own sense of self and it would destroy how they want you to see them. Mm. So, actually walking into the flames of tell me all the ways in which you fucked up <laughs> it can be very <laughs> i i went on a date the last day for the first date in about five months and i basically did what you just said in like the first 10 minutes i was like i don't know where i am i don't know where i'm going i don't know what's going on in my life at the moment and she was like jesus whoa <laughs> relax yourself and i was like no but you need to know where i'm coming from like i need you to know that where i'm coming from and mm-hmm. then that was pretty, I thought that was rather than pretending to be somewhere that I wasn't. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's very um, and it, yeah. And we, we learn no matter what happens, no matter what way somebody reacts, it's all information. All of it is information. It, it could be a bad reaction. It could be a strange reaction. <laughs> it could disappear. But that's information. That's letting you know something. You know, you'll always learn something if you pay attention. It may not be the reaction you want, but you've just gotten very valuable information about what's next for your relationship or not. Yeah, that's amazing. And we're running out of time at the moment on the kind of main topic of conversation we were going to have. We haven't even got to because <laughs> the conversation has been so good. Um, and I suppose we'll kind of have to finish on this. Thank you so much to Louise for that. We hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. And we hope you tune in next week for part two. Yes, uh, as I said, just someone that you can listen to all day. Um, So, so much so that we have a second podcast with her. Uh, When this is being released, it will be very close to the end of Coldtober, which me and Stephen were ambassadors of all of October um, it is an initiative by Helplink Mental Health to get into the water each day or cold showers each day in October Stephen and myself will be I'd imagine swimming and cold showering all over the winter but if you would like to donate to Helplink Mental Health you will find the links in the description of the podcast and you'll also find the link in the bio of our pod, of our Instagram page so anyway thank you very much for listening and peace and love love.